0: What is up, Hoopers, Analytics, Bad Guys, Bucket Getters, Boosters, Blue Bloods, and New Bloods? On today's episode, we're speaking with former Zags Matt Santangelo, and Shaniqua Nils from the Friends of Spike Collective, a support group of alumni and fans to help student athletes field NIL opportunities. We're going to hear their perspective as former student athletes about what NIL means to them, what it could mean to current student athletes at Gonzaga and throughout the country. We'll also give an update on the belt. Can Arkansas and Eric Musselman hold on to it into the SEC tournament and maybe beyond? Let's get it. Let's go, go. Hello, Hoop Bro. My name is Tuck Clary. I write for Slipper Soul Fits and Busting Brackets, and joining me today. He'll never call a, a little kiss off the glass BS. It's Josh Linky. Yo, what up guys? His first NIL deal for one of his clients will be at Fogo to Chow. It's Kyle Sessions.
1: <laughs> What's going
0: on? Don't question his semen OT because he will respond with T's and P's for the man Ed Cooley. It's Austin King.
2: God always comes through, boys.
3: What's up?
0: Except on <laughs> right. the we don't talk about that.
3: We don't talk about that. So, Wait, Pro- so is Villanova more ordained than Providence at this no, point? No, 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 they no, just, no, no.
2: God had already delivered the Big East to Providence, uh, and so it didn't matter. I see. Yeah, see, yeah. Uh, uh, God's team is
0: Providence, but God is J. Wright. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. A lot to get to today, but first, let us get to belt watch. Arkansas <laughs> holds on to the belt. Eric Musselman's guys. Uh, there was a little bit of doubt, but ultimately they care took care of business this weekend, beating Florida and then Kentucky, uh, nail biter by two points on Saturday. They
3: play LSU tonight. So I I ranked Arkansas 18th in my poll this week, and I got flamed by I don't know like 170 different arkansas fans in my mentions i'm not uh, really sure why they were so upset by that but apparently I'll tell you why because i was ringing. one of them i was one of those Absolutely,
2: baby respect jd note seriously
3: you explain- my man just
2: dropped 30
3: on kentucky can you explain for the idiots in here um what is shark and
0: is an idea it, it's it's a concept if you want is it a little high what do you say? It's, it, it's a vibe. It's the student sections. They dress up as sharks. Was this, this like absurd? inspired
2: by Left Shark from Katy Perry's Super Bowl performance? I
0: believe that was a major factor. <laughs> Katy
2: Katie Perry just loves Arkansas basketball.
3: Yeah. Oh, see, I was I was thinking it had something to do with Baby Shark.
2: Don't know anything about that.
3: Exactly. That's right. Uh,
2: does that torture you in your dreams, Josh? With all your kids, is they just watching Baby Shark? They don't really watch it a lot.
3: My older kids were too old to get into it because it hadn't really popped off yet, and my younger kids have not yet discovered it. So okay. maybe I'll what, be. What spirit. is the
2: show that like? What is the show that's your nightmare that your kids watch all the time?
3: Uh, Paw Patrol, Blue's Clues. Um, yeah, that kind okay. of stuff. Okay. I I mean, Shark and Saw
0: is really uh what. Whatever you make of it, it's it's ultimately a concept of just something beautifully crafted by the student section. I think uh, it goes as deep as you can say "sharkansas," like you say "Arkansas," which,
2: which is cool.
0: It's great. Know? It's really cool. Yeah.
3: Cool
2: like Eric,
0: cool like Eric Musselman. Absolutely. See, when I
3: first when I first saw it, I thought it was Sharkansas. Then I thought about the fact that it should actually be our Kansas, if we're going to pronounce Kansas as that. I say um, pronounce Kansas Kansaw. Yeah. Okay. I I'm mean, that's you. fine, too. Either way, I just want to be consistent here because we got Kansas two state Jayhawks.
1: Oh, my yeah.
0: God. Kansaw Kansas win on the road.
3: <laughs> <laughs> See, now I'm just confused. <laughs> now I we've got tongue twisters going and point. everything. Okay. Um, so- do we
2: think they close out against LSU in Tennessee? Yeah, probably.
3: Well, the (laughs) momentum in the world. Yeah, sure. They're like, yeah, no. No, no, no." no. I think they're going to beat... We all believed in them against Kentucky, though. I I think they're going to be LSU tonight. Well, I guess it won't be tonight by the time this airs, but... Um, I do also think that they have a chance against Tennessee, but the problem Mm -hmm. with Tennessee is that at Rocky top this year, Tennessee is as good as Arkansas is at Bud Walton. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. They both teams seem to be much better at home than they are away.
2: Yeah. And, and like, we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, but they have had one loss since, uh, January 12th. And that one loss was by one point to Alabama on the road. They have been phenomenal. Uh, J.D. Notay, as we kind of talked about a little bit, is like, in my opinion, the most important player in the SEC right now. Uh, He took 43% of their possessions against Kentucky. Um, You know, you might look at it and be like, a 106 offensive rating, that's not very good. But he has to take such difficult shots at such a high volume um, because they just don't have much shot creation and to still score 30 points against a pretty good Kentucky defense is really impressive and i don't know should he be considered for sec player of the year or does Sheboy have that completely locked up i don't think
3: yeah i don't think there's any way this is the player of the week
1: though so you know he's got that going for him
2: but do you think if you like maybe the what the media will vote like oscar's got it locked up but do you really think that he's the best player in sec so far absolutely
3: no question in my mind it's oscar Sheboy. But well, I, like- I
1: think Jabari Smith is probably better still.
3: <laughs> I so right. uh,
0: what are you saying as uh, a as in terms of draft uh potential? What are you saying by best player? Uh, yeah,
3: okay, maybe uh, are you talking of Austin? Do you mean I'm just
2: saying like the most important player in the SEC right now for his team, I think is probably J.D. So
3: most valuable player? Yeah, like, I, I, okay, I don't sure. think
2: Arkansas could come close to doing this without – like this is, I think, the, easily the most impressive run of any team in the SEC. Um, they started out not great, but have been unbelievable in their last 15 games, one loss. Um, that one loss is by one point. J.D. Note is essentially the sole reason on offense why they have a competent offense at all. Um, and to me, that's incredibly impressive.
3: So, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tony is – pretty you know efficient on offense i like him a lot they um, they
2: have two guys tony and trey wade who plays 40 percent of their minutes in the top 500 in ken palm offensive rating now jd Note's is not high in offensive rating but his just like raw production yeah. is really high and he has well, to take a lot of difficult shots he's a mean,
3: point guard so it's just going to be lower yeah. by also, know, necessity but
0: also i think it's worth consideration that in that game against Tennessee, he was hampered with foul trouble and, and mm-hmm. Arkansas took care of business still without JD Note sitting on I'm the sure. bench. So they also like,
2: only scored fifty eight points, so
0: right, but that's also Tennessee has a great defense. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. I think I don't know, would who would Arkansas miss JD Note more than Kentucky would miss Oscar
3: that That, to me, is hard to quantify because if you take Oscar away from Kentucky, suddenly they lose, what, like half their rebounding? They lose so Uh, much of their interior presence that opens up the floor for spacing for the rest of the team. Like, I just – yeah, I I don't know. To me, Oscar Sheewe is is probably going to be national player of the year, for better or worse. And, you know, we – I don't know. He's just super important to that team. I don't think Kentucky's even remotely a Final Four contender without Oscar Sheway. I
2: don't know. I, I'll be honest. This is maybe a uh, heresy, but I just think rebounding is like a little overrated. Uh, <laughs> what? Wait. No, is. Rebounding is like More overrated. There's plenty overrated. of teams that aren't good rebounding teams that win. I mean, look like – The idea that Andre Drummond is like a valuable basketball player in the NBA, even though he gets, you know, 17, 18 rebounds all the time is just not true. Like, I I think that rebounding in these crazy rates is cool and he gives a ton of effort, but uh, as far as impact on winning, it's like minimal at best.
3: I think in the college game I have to strongly disagree with you. I think rebounding Also, is, is what are important. these like
2: great rebounding teams outside of offensive rebounding
1: that Vermont, Boise, St. Mary's, those no, are No, what, what I'm
3: saying, right what I'm saying to you is, is that I think rebounding inside in, in in the context of a game being played, if you get out rebounded, often you are either A at risk of losing or B are going to lose. In the case of Gonzaga this last week, we struggled mightily on the boards against St. Mary's, um, you know, and, and many people would consider our front court to be the best in the nation or one of the best in the nation. If it gets out rebounded against a team like like St. Mary's, that's kind of a problem, you know, and I think rebounding is important because you extend uh, the life of your team on offense throughout the game. If you, if you consider, um, you know, the number of possessions you get in college basketball especially against teams that slow the pace down and the tempo down um you know rebounding could be the uh, you know even even a 5 or 6 rebound margin could be the difference between winning or losing in those games
0: i mean just by the fact that kentucky has the second highest adjusted uh offensive uh, Just judging by the fact that Kentucky has the second highest offensive efficiency, despite having the 33rd best effective field goal percentage, I think speaks to the idea that being a big time offensive rebounding team helps you shore up a lot of gaps that maybe your guard play doesn't quite offer in terms of others, uh, suppliers of offense. Um, but also to some degree, I think you can make the argument that Oscars numbers are so incredibly impressive because they don't, have they have terrible shooters and they have poor
2: shooters like yeah they're missing a lot of shots that's why he gets a lot of offensive rebounds so so
3: you're saying what you're saying is basically that his stats look padded because of the situation and that therefore you believe that he's being overrated to some degree but it's also like you're not saying that that you don't think rebounding is important to winning i I, i think it's
2: overrated yeah for sure I think it's an overrated okay. well,
3: important In the, in the game. context of an because there's so few
2: 50 50 balls in reality, most of it's just positioning and where the ball comes off. Um, there's definitely people that are very talented rebounders, no doubt. But there there's a reason why someone like Drew Timmy uh, is getting less rebounds than Oscar Shiboy and it's because he's on defense in particular, he's not playing down in the paint. He's not in those positions to get a ton of rebounds. And guess what? When you have Keon Brooks and you have Kellen Grady, who are not rebounders, Oscar's just going to get all of those because he's down there.
0: And if so, you look, and if you look at that Gonzaga St.
2: Mary's game, uh,
0: Gonzaga did lose the rebounding margin, but also the leading rebounders for St. Mary's were the guards.
2: Yeah, I, I, that's it's it's not to say rebounding isn't important, but to basically give a national player of the year to somebody just because he's a good rebounder. Is like absurd to me. Like, I, if you're going to give me a great three point shooter or a great rebounder, I'm taking a great three point shooter every single time and it's not close. Can we get a little bit spicier? Uh, so, I agree that Arkansas would miss
0: JD Note more than they would, than Kentucky would miss Oscar Chibway. What about Tari Eason? What That's, is LSU
2: without Tari Eason? They're nothing, they're literally nothing. That's and that's what the thing is, like if you took JD Note off of Arkansas, they were their offense would be probably the worst in the SEC, or it'd be close to it. It'd definitely be bottom third, undoubtedly.
0: He's taking over forty percent of the shots for a reason.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's creating them all off of individual creation. So
0: uh <laughs> what would this... Vanderbilt
1: be without Scottie Pippen Jr. then?
0: <laughs> 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 uh this this brings back ideas about uh, uh, some Coach of the Year conversations. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's 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 raise this question. So uh, everybody here thinks that Arkansas is going to hold the belt until the weekend at least. Yeah, take care of business against yeah. LSU. I yes. think our
2: boy Rick Barnes gets it back though. You think
0: Rick Barnes gets it back? They
2: play Tennessee
0: yeah, this weekend at Rocky Top.
2: I believe in Rocky Top.
0: I, yeah, Rocky Top's a hard thing to not be persuaded by after saying what they were able to do uh, this weekend, last yep. weekend. Sorry, Auburn. I I'll think go ahead,
1: ahead and say they win that win. game, but just the momentum, I don't know. I don't have anything to say about the home court versus home court. Like They probably, like Tennessee's tough tough at home, it, it sounds like, and I saw that Auburn game. That was pretty brutal for them. So, But I want... I want to see it see them win these next two games and carry it mm-hmm. into the tournament
3: yeah um, I, mean, I mean to put it to put it in perspective as far as how tough tennessee is at home they beat auburn at home they beat kentucky at home they beat arizona at home um lsu beat, yeah so you know they, they, they honestly they have, have three of the most blocks. right They have three of the most impressive wins of the year at home, but then on the road, they've lost to Arkansas. They've lost to Texas. They've lost to Kentucky. They lost to LSU, Alabama, Texas Tech, and Villanova. So they have a chink in their armor when they leave Rocky Top for sure. Okay. So Josh
0: and Austin think that they're going to hold on to it against LSU and then drop it to Tennessee. Kyle thinks they're going to close out. I'm part of Charkensaw Nation, folks. If there's something I trust to happen, it is absolutely Rick Barnes not closing something out. So, undefeated all season at home, make it uh, and one. Disrespectful. Disrespectful, I apologize. Rick Barnes, you're a sweetie. Your grandson's a sweetie. Uh, Enjoy. He's a handsome man. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's the update on the belt. Let's turn to our conversation with Shaniqua Nils and Matt Santangelo of the Friends of Spike Collective. Joining us today from the Friends of Spike uh, organization, hoping to help uh, student-athletes at Gonzaga with NIL deals, is Matt Santangelo and Chaniqua Nils. Thanks so much for joining us.
4: Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having
5: us. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having us on.
3: So uh, one thing I wanted to ask to start us out, um, Matt, you played at Gonzaga during a time when the program was on the rise. Um, You were a big part of the teams in the, uh, the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, the program has reached kind of ever-increasing heights over the last 20-plus years. How do you see those contributions uh, that you made at that time? Uh, how do they translate to today?
5: I mean, it wouldn't be what it is today without what we did. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Um,
3: <laughs> Absolutely. You
5: know, I, I mean, it's part of it's true because uh, the one thing that's one of the several things that have remained consistent during this entire incredible run is the culture. And the culture isn't that different from when we got it going. And honestly, the culture wasn't that different from the groups before us because um, we were just trying to live up to them. Uh, we just were able to have some success on the national scene and kind of launch launched Egg into the national kind of um, uh, 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 mentality or mindset. And so I, you know, I, I think that they were really critical because someone has to be the first, right? Someone has to be the one that says, yeah, we went out and did it. We, we kind of showed what is, what is possible. But on the flip side of that same coin and on and, and a little bit more of a humble note, we never could have foreseen what they were going to build, you know, what, what the, you know, what was going to come of that. So we're super proud. Like, I know I'm super proud. I think I can speak from, you know, other zags of my, you know, era and generation, We're all super proud of what it's become, but we're also, you know, very proud of what our contribution was uh, to, to, um, you know, Zag Basketball and Gonzaga Basketball before it was everything that maybe everyone else on this podcast besides Shaniqua knew what, you know, knew about it. You know, we did it before, we did it before, we made it cool. Like we did it before it was cool, you know, so that part is always going to be something we hold, um, we hold close and we're proud of and, and excited to see the new heights that it continues to reach.
3: Yeah. Your, your perspective of the program is interesting too, because you got to play under Dan Fitzgerald, Dan Monson and Mark few. Uh, That's pretty, you know, that's not usual as far as, you know, players even before your time or after, can you speak to what that was like to play for those varying opinions and minds? And, you know, obviously Dan played such a huge role in building this program up.
5: Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, tongue in cheek, I always thought of myself as coachable when you say, but when you say I had three coaches in four years, maybe that's not the case. Um, (laughs) Not
2: Santangelo, coach killer.
5: Yeah, coach killer. (laughs) Exactly right. Talk about the cultural contribution to all this stuff. Um, But it is so it is interesting because we are, we're my, our generation, my generation is definitely fits kids because of that influence. And we also cross over between the pre-national attention, post-national attention. So we do kind of bridge a couple of interesting eras, I think, or interesting um, uh, reflection points in Gonzaga basketball. Um, but I can't say that the transition in coaching staff, so Coach Few actually recruited me out of high school. So Coach Few and Fitz recruited a few recruited guards, Munson recruited bigs. So he was responsible for the Casey Calvaries and the Axel Denches of my generation, our era. And so, you know, Coach Few was always really intricate part of my Gonzaga experience. Um, And when I got there, you know, Fitz was a huge, huge personality, huge. I mean, heaven forbid that the news was going to come and film practice, because as soon as we saw cameras, we were like, oh, my gosh, man, here we go. We knew like the lights were on, the show was happening, like it is it didn't matter if you made it. I was the. I think I. He called me the worst point guard ever to play at Gonzaga basketball <laughs> several times, several times, <laughs> like publicly, like not to me personally, like in the paper and on news. Um, I don't think I was, um, but I don't know. Uh, and so, um, so it was. He was a big personality, but the one thing that Coach Fitz did that you still see today is, which is really two things. It's that whole kind of zag characteristic, right? That kind of that lunch pail, hard hat mentality, that underdog, the chip on your shoulder. Now, it's a different type of chip what these guys have versus what we had, but it's still the same kind of blue collar. We show up to work every day. Yeah, you know, we're going to win more than we lose, but when you beat us, like you're going to go through the handshake line and be like, you earned that one. You know, it's just kind of that, that mentality of like, we show up to work every day. Um, that would, that stays the same. The other thing that Fitz did that I thought was really interesting was that he really empowered his staff. So when we were there and maybe different for the guys that are older than me, like Munson, Few, Greer all had a really hands-on, they weren't just like the lackeys, like the assistant coaches or the gophers. And it was the Fitz show. No, like Munson ran the defense, coach Few ran the offense. As we developed coach Few ran the offense, coach Greer ran the defense. And that's always stayed true to where Coach Few now really empowers his staff to go out and be amazing, you know, to impact the team, to have a say, to have a voice, to make this whole thing better and better each and every day. So there are, again, back to that kind of cultural component of what makes us, the collective us, everyone here on the podcast makes us special. Um, You know, it didn't, that part didn't change, even though the voices or the, um, the, uh, uh, faces may have changed a, a little bit
0: so Shaniqua your time at Gonzaga you also played for two different head coaches you were the bridge between Kelly Graves and Lisa Fortier can you speak to what Lisa Fortier done to you know maintain uh what Kelly Graves built and now with these caliber of athletes and players that she's getting
4: yeah I think Lisa's rise to being the head coach and taking over a very successful program you know she had some really big shoes to fill, just like Coach Few did on the on the men's side. Um, but what I was most impressed and proud of Lisa was she was ready. Like, she did not shy away from it. Um, she is little and tiny in stature, but she is so feisty and competitive um, in all areas of, of her life. And so as one of her players, and same as what Matt was saying, Lisa was an assistant for Coach Grace, and she was the one who recruited me. Um, Fun little story on my recruiting stuff. I went to Gonzaga, you know, and I did a bunch of unofficials because, like, why would you burn? (laughs) Why would you burn an official visit on the hometown kid, you know? (laughs) Um, So I went to a lot, and at the time, my best friend had decided to go from Mead to Gonzaga, so I was around campus a lot anyway. Um, And Coach Graves was very honest, which was something that drew me in right away. Actually, in um, initially, it hurt my feelings, but my family put in perspective because, you know, I toward the campus, and they're showing me things, and I'm loving it, and then he's like, Shaniqua, I need to be honest with you, you're probably our third, fourth, mm, maybe our fifth option, and I was like, okay, like, ow, like, we, I thought these are the trips where you tell me I'm the best thing to come out of Spokane, and I'm going to be the next Courtney Vanderson. like, I feel like that's what you're supposed to tell me here, and so I, like, kind of left, you know, ticked off, and my dad was like, every other program you've gone to has given you that you know, silver platter, like you're going to change the program and blah, blah, blah. he's like, this is the first place that was like, we have a lot of talent here and we think there's a spot for you, but you're going to have to fight for it. And so I enjoyed that, but I, you know, I went and shopped around a bit and then I ended up telling Lisa, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go to Gonzaga and play volleyball. And she was like, that was kind of out of left field. And that was really at a time where I was getting looks um, at some really good programs for volleyball as well. And I was kind of like, that would be fun. I come from a basketball family, so let's just screw it and go play a completely different sport, you know, see how we go. Um, and so I told Lisa that, and again, my best friend was on the team and I let her know, I was like, I think we'll be at the same school, just different sports. Um, and then it was one of my senior volleyball matches. I'm, you know, bump set spike peppering with my, with my teammate and in walks, like coach grave, who is a massive physical presence. Like you yeah. noticed him he's recognizable wherever he goes. And I'm like, why why is he here so me not thinking I'm like he's here to watch a family member you know like maybe somebody in his family plays at Deer Park I don't know you know little G&L schools and then after the game I come out and i I'm saying thank you for coming he's like yeah I just wanted to come and offer you a full ride scholarship to Gonzaga and I was like can you do that because I was confused <laughs> I thought he was there like on behalf of the volleyball team I was like can you uh okay and he's like yeah to play basketball and I just accepted right away and i really think that it was lisa who kind of put the bug in his ear of like hey you know maybe a couple our first and second options have gone elsewhere or they're not as interested but like you have a hometown recruit who i like i went to the gonzaga summer camps i stayed in the dorms i drove lisa nuts at the age of 11 and 12 buying snickers instead of playing defense or whatever you know that was me And so I looked up to those girls. I remember going and watching games in the old kennel in the Martin Center with my dad. And it like, those are some of the best, you know, Thursdays and Saturdays of my life. So I really wanted to be a Bulldog. Um, And I really don't think that would have happened if Lisa didn't go to bat with me for Coach Graves. And then you fast forward through, you know, my freshman and sophomore year and Coach Graves makes the decision. Um, And it was gut-wrenching, you know, like that's a lot of, that's a huge reason why you choose a school that you do is the head coach and you believe in them and you want to play for them and you want them to believe in you. And so when he, there was a part of me that, I think we all kind of took it personally, just the timing of it all, to be honest. Um, but me, especially, cause I was like, what the heck? Like I was going to go play a different sport. You give me two years, which I didn't really play. Cause I was on a all-star talent, crazy team. And I was fine with being the cheerleader, but I was like, no, I might get a shot and you up and bounce to Oregon. Like, what's up with that? And I remember talking to Lisa and I was like, I think I'm going to have to enter the portal. Like, I don't know. Like, I want to see what else is out there. And I'll never forget. She was like, just hang in there because I want it. And then I remember it was myself, Ellie Tinkle, Chelsea Waters, um, Keani Albanez, Shelby Cheslick. We all kind of went to Mike Roth at that time. And obviously we have no position to threaten And We didn't go in there like <laughs> gang up on him. we just kind of made it clear like we want Lisa we back Lisa and if it's not Lisa like you could see a lot of us and not just us like five or six like it was you know a couple more as well like that are gonna explore the transfer portal and I think um us knowing that she had our back in all aspects of life different I think all my teammates could have a Lisa story similar to the one that I just shared um and that just kind of propelled us into like a really kick-ass season my junior year like I still get goosebumps my parents still have the Tennessee game saved on the television haven't watched it but it's there when I'm ready (laughs) when I'm healed from it but being Oregon State on their home court like just crazy memories and Lisa was at the helm of that And that's, like I said, she took over a program that produced, you know, Courtney VanderSloot, Kayla Standish, started to bring in international recruits like Kelly Bowen and another hometown um, stud, Caitlin Redman. There there were some amazing teams that Coach Graves had cultivated, but Lisa was a part of that. And I think she was a big part of it because her job, exactly what Matt was saying on the men's side, Coach Graves, I think, did a great job of empowering his staff as well. And I strictly remember Lisa was our defensive coach, and I think that's why We gelled so well because I was like, I'm not going to shoot because I'm not very confident and look at everybody else. I don't need to contribute offensively as much, but like I'll stop whoever you want. I'll guard one through five. Like, what do you need me to do? And that was kind of my task. And then Jody um, Casaberry, she was um, the post coach and our offensive like strategist. And so everybody had their role, like from coaching staff all the way down to like your managers and stuff. And no role was too small. And you can see that something that Lisa learned, I think from coach Graves as well. And she's carried on and um, it's been really fun to watch the program. You know, it, not every season is the same, you bring in new athletes, you lose some to graduation or injury, unfortunately, like things happen, but I've been so impressed on both sides of, we just adapt. Like Matt said, you put on your hard hat. It doesn't matter if you're the number one team in the nation, or you're struggling with injuries and you're just, you know, struggling through the WCC one year, like, we don't care. Like we always have a chip on our shoulder. And I I love that. I love that edge. It's something that Matt and I like discuss a lot. And um, I think it's a big reason why the Zag community and um, our student athletes are just different.
3: So um, in, in during your time in Australia, when you were playing pro um, I did, I did a little research and it looked like you did some marketing uh, with that, that program as well. Um, that I, th- I feel like that kind of maybe helped you bridge into this, this new role, this uh, Friends of Spike uh, collective. Um, can you speak to how those unique experiences um, will help you kind of achieve these goals um, at this next stage of your career?
4: Yeah, I'm very, very lucky and thankful to have um, amazing people that allow me to just kind of stumble into wonderful <laughs> opportunities. I am the queen of just like having a conversation. And the next thing I know, I have a wonderful you know, internship at HoopFest where somebody put in a good word and that's when I really met Matt. And then we started bonding over, you know, our love of of Zag stuff. And um, then that transitioned to me getting a job with them and on and off that allowed me to go do what I love and chase my passion because there was an executive director at the helm that understood that and encouraged me to do that. Um, So I worked with HoopFest on and off for a couple of years and um, then came, you know, COVID. I was in Australia and Wasn't ready. I could have came home, like full disclosure, I could have came home at any time. I just loved it there. I was really welcomed into, um, I played for a club called Chelsea. So into the Chelsea goals family. Um, And I was having the time of my life, I was having a blast, but I knew, you know, the, the pause and go and stop and start again of, of the COVID stuff that I couldn't rely on just playing basketball anymore. It was a bit unstable. So Yeah, I asked the club, I was like, is there anything that I could be doing kind of behind the scenes to help us prep for when basketball does come back full force? And they let me know that they've been trying to get a website together. And because of my time at HoopFest and you know around the spoken AAU program and stuff like that, I was able to provide some, I think some really great insight into, hey, this is how we did it at HoopFest and AAU. I think this is how we can mold it to match our junior rep and youth programs here. So I helped them get a new website, started taking over their social media, um, but again, it wasn't really a lot of the jobs that I've received um, and earned since graduating are not me submitting a resume and doing a formal process. It's literally like my connections to the basketball world. Um, and I'm just a small town kid from Spokane, from rink West Valley in Millwood, Washington. Let's go. And I was able to go to Australia and Europe. And I took my daughter to you know, my 25th birthday, we spent it at Berlin and she was at the Holocaust Memorial and just these wonderful opportunities and, um, life can get stressful and everything, but just whenever I take the moment to pause and literally how far basketball has taken me the doors, it's opened. And if the door shuts, it's crazy. I feel like I have somebody inside the house that opens a window or, you know, like (laughs) it's still trying to find a way to um, help me advance in my career and in my life. And I just, I, can't speak enough on how much those types of people, especially, have helped me make sure. like, full advantage of those opportunities.
3: Yeah. So on March 1st, you guys announced the Friends of Spike Collective. Um, it's a partnership with Blueprint Sports. And um, the idea is to connect student athletes with business opportunities under new NIL laws. Um, can you, either of you, talk about? Um, Some of the student athletes that you that have come on board, who've partnered already, and and where you see the future of of uh, this collective going?
5: Uh, I'll jump in on that one, Um, uh, and then Shneika can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, So I think the whole the whole idea of the collective in this NIL because there's so much, you know, there's so many unknown variables. Um, You know, coming back from a, um, you know, looking at it from a student athlete perspective, um, you know, there's always been opportunity. And now there there is it's, you know, it's it's legal opportunity to be able to empower these athletes. And I think that's where both Shaniqua and I bring so much perspective because we went through it. You know, we went through it as different eras, but we were student athletes and we went through it and um uh and we're both good students and good athletes and you know and and good in the community and we can string sentences together and we can there's, I mean, there's there's value to the things that we bring and then being tied to um certainly the athletic department. So I think that perspective I hope relates to um, a level of trust and confidence from the current student athletes um, that we can then help create some opportunities as well as some trust from uh businesses. Because right now the model is, is kind of a post and pray, right? So they have these marketplaces, these apps, or, you know, maybe people are act, really active on social media. So they're going to post something. They're going to pray that some business finds them. So now they're kind of, you know, they're slipping into their your DMs or they're trying to, you know, figure out a phone number. Like, how, how does this work? And then contractually and professionally and formally, like, how do we actually make this happen? So there's a, there's a recognition that there is a need for people to help um, these, you know, these young, young student athletes, because they are young um, and these businesses that want to seek these opportunities. And in addition to that, there is a need to create some opportunities too. And I think that's what you kind of alluded to with, with the question to Shaniqua with her time in Australia and our collective time at Hoop Fest. Sometimes you got to go create the stuff. You got to go create the, you know, you got to go create the 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 membership model or the subscription model or the unique content that is valuable um, that people can participate in and and they want to participate in. um, But it's only based on if the content's good. So like, uh, there's a couple different things in play in how we kind of create some opportunities, find some opportunities, and then execute some opportunities for these student athletes. And that's what the Friends of Spike is all about. It's just kind of being that conduit. Uh, to the business community, to the, um, the benefactors and the supporters of Gonzaga basketball, and ultimately the athletes. Um, it's unique in the fact that it has to be completely independent of the athletic department and the university, and that creates a lot of confusion, right? Because now all of a sudden, well, what's Matt and Shanique, How are they, like, we know we went, they went to GU, they played basketball at GU, but they're not employees of Gonzaga. Well, that's how NIL rules kind of necessitate that that needs to be a separate entity. And then so because it's a separate entity, you get into this really slippery slope of agents and who's really the best interest, who are we protecting? How are we really highlighting uh, the athletes, making sure that the majority of the money gets into the right place? And that's the athletes, you know, the athletes' pockets. So it's a really um, dynamic landscape, uh, this NIL business. Um, and Friends of Spike is here to kind of keep it clean, keep it effective, keep it efficient for Gonzaga Athletics. And that's I say athletics because we're starting with men's and women's basketball, um, but it's going to grow beyond that to, to all sports so that athletes that want to have participate in NIL activities will have the opportunity to participate in NIL activities.
0: So looking at a, a lot of the a lot of the differences when it comes to the different types of sports that are, that are causing or creating revenue for your schools. Uh, we can look back to the, the COVID year NCAA tournament and look at the inequity of what, uh, the women's teams received versus the men's teams. And then we can look at, you know, currently what's going on with the WNBA and what their athletes are going through in terms of uh, flying coach rather than <laughs> having their own planes. Is there, is there any hopes in terms of, uh, creating opportunities for title nine athletes in particular, considering the inequities that are going on uh, in just sports in general on amateur, semi-amateur and pro levels.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll jump on this one. And then I'm going to hand it off to Shaniqua really quickly. Um, so part of when I first got started doing this, uh, it was really to try to unearth some of those opportunities. Cause if Gonzaga is going to live our values, right. If we're going to be the, the best example, we're going to be the number one, not just the number one team in the country, but the number one NIL program, because there's a standard of excellence that we all live by. I don't know how else to say it. Like I'm not, I'm not even, that's not not bragging. That's just speaking the truth, right? There's a standard of excellence that what it means to be a Zag and what it means to be tied to Gonzaga university and Gonzaga basketball. So friends of spike is no different. We're running this thing just like we would a team. And so, uh, just like we ran as athletes. So I think that there is an, uh, at least in my mind, there was an opportunity to say, okay, now let's put our money where our mouth is. Because saying Title Nine, saying equity, saying great, there's great, great lip service. Anyone can do that, but let's see, let's let the market bear what the market's going to bear and create those opportunities and go out and actually, you know, um, you know, let the rubber meet the road. So I think for me, that's always been a huge. motivating factor like inspiration like let's do it differently let's do it the right way Um, and ultimately the market's going to bear that you know and so with you know with Schneek when I representing the athletic department in NIL or uh, that's probably not the right way to say that representing athletes of the athletic department you know these individuals um, it's really trying to to craft the story with local businesses and local benefactors about what's really important and how we move the needle and how we, we continue to become, continue to be relevant. Um, but we do have a, a, a great stage and platform to kind of create those opportunities. And because it's, we're actually executing it, we're going to see it come to life one way or the other. Like it's going to be, you know, we have the, the, the chance to really steer, um, you know, how these athletes are kind of, uh, how these athletes engage in, in the communities that they're in. Shanika, add to that, because I, you know, that's not, that's not fair for me to speak first on that one.
4: (laughs) No, you're fine. But I think the best thing about having Matt and I on board is we do have that credibility. Um, And just the lives that we've lived and the choices we've made. um, I think everybody can agree that we value, you know, women's contributions. And we, Matt and I both agree that you know, what the women's programs and teams experienced last year in the tournament was unacceptable. And what the WNBA teams are battling this year is unacceptable and it needs to change. And not just from like a, this makes sense for our sport um, standpoint, but I have a daughter, I have a little girl. I don't want her to grow up in a world like that. Like I grew up in a world like that. And I'm so thankful that more and more people are starting to realize like, Hey, this is not okay. Matt has a daughter, Matt has sisters, you know? So it's like, we, we understand the value of really making an, an effort to show women their worth. And I think a lot of other, um, NIL collectives or agents like Matt was kind of alluding to of just a bit more of a selfish approach of let's, you know, let's go over the, we want to go after the highest profiled athlete, just that person, not necessarily for the whole team. We won't worry about, you know, the, the women's side of that program or that sport. We just want the the number one athlete and we want them to sell all of our stuff and get us attention. That's not our approach. That's not our goal. We really are focused on maximizing these opportunities for the student athletes, male, female, basketball, tennis, whatever. Like Matt said, we're starting with the men's and women's basketball team. And I think that's solely to, you know, kind of hitch a ride on the momentum of their tournament and, and, um, I think this is a perfect time to maximize opportunities for them, just based on the timing of it all. But we also understand the need to expand and expand quickly to those other sports, especially women's sports. Um, and I think that's why Matt and I are kind of the best candidates to be the face of this um, Friends of Spike program here in Spokane, is because we really believe that. You know, we're not stiff businessmen in suit and tie and just trying to slang a case of money um, every which way and and. You know, promote a product like we actually want to make sure that our athletes are taken care of and that their eligibility is never in question. And because we are from Gonzaga, we do have like strong personal relationships with people in the department that we can literally just call. We got a call with somebody in compliance yesterday, just you know, we put that together around noon. We got on call at two and we were just we were all driving, who knows where, but we were just catching up like, can we do this? Nope what about this? Okay, we'll tread lightly. So just to be able to have those like important conversations on the drop of the dime, I don't know if a lot of NIL collectives have that genuine relationship to make sure that the athletes are 100% the focus from start to finish of any NIL deal that comes across um, our program. Yeah,
5: And I think to just add one more uh, thought to that, you know, it's not just Shaniqua and I, you know, we we have kind of gained, we already have momentum in the fact that we've had some businesses step up, you know, both financially and um, uh, in spirit to kind of lend the, their credibility to this. And they echo the same values and the same priorities that Sneek and I just explained. So this isn't, I don't know. It's, it's, again, it's the Zag way. I mean, I think, you know, everyone on this one knows what that means when I say that, like it is, it is we're building it We're we are built different and we're building this differently than what other examples of NIL collectives are.
1: Yeah. I kind of wanted to ask on that because you talked about the slippery slope. um, And like right now, you know, the landscape is pretty much just like collections of deals that are pre-approved, like open doors. And all you have to do is just go on there and start selecting deals and negotiating on your own behalf. So my question is, how do the athletes that you're going to be working with at Gonzaga, how should they understand their relationship with the Friends of Spike in relation to their interests? Because are you their agent for those deals yeah. or are you just another collection of the pre-approved athlete of deals and do they need to go out and seek their own consultation? Um, I don't know what, what the answer to that is, but it, I mean, it's important to me to understand what they should know their relationship with you. And it seems like it's kind of a three headed deal. There's compliance, there's you, and then there's the athlete in the middle.
5: Yeah. And I think, I think you, um, I think that's an awesome question. Um, I think the structure for us is basically we're, um, we base marketing agencies the wrong way to say it, but kind of like we are, you know, we create opportunities. So if we have an opportunity from XYZ institution here in Spokane and they want you, Kyle, to come do an an appearance, we're just the con. So Kyle, you know us, you kind of, you're familiar with the fact that we exist. X, Y, Z knows they want Kyle. They know we exist. So again, we're just that, we're the, for lack of a better term, we are the middle person, but we're just presenting you the opportunity. Like, do you want to go do an appearance? Can you go do an appearance on Sunday afternoon uh, for two hours, you know, and, and this is what it's going to pay. Um, and so then it's kind of opt in, opt out. And so the, it's really is the athlete's choice. It's just that the athletes are still young people like they don't want to figure all this stuff out. And frankly, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic because I know I probably would have done a lot more for a hamburger when I was playing, but they, I mean, it they, there's a sense of like, it better be worthwhile. It better be worth their time in order to do these things, you know? And so um, it's a little bit different mentality as well. So we are uh, essentially just um uh we kind of see and create opportunities but we're just presenting we're presenting to the athlete we're presenting to the business they can choose we can help navigate the legal structure of that to make sure that the athlete's protected um you know we've already heard some horror stories where someone has given up their name image and likeness for uh an, uh a stupid amount of time right a, a year, a lifetime, multiple years. Well, no, if you're only doing one autograph session on Sunday, well, then you only get the name image and likeness for this week. And that should be written into the contract. So everyone's protected. Um, So I think there, there's a lot of nuance to it, that it is, there's an advantage to having professionals involved um, looking over your shoulder a little bit. I mean, the tax liability. Now these student athletes are going to have a tax liability with the money. Well, how is that? What does that mean? They're just going to see a tax bill at the end of the year. Well, no, the idea is that either we can counsel or coach you up on, you know, making sure you're re- saving some money, or maybe we just reserve some money out with your agreements. Okay, we're going to hold this here so that you can go enjoy this and spend this money, have a, buy whatever shoes off a of stock X you want, or unless you're buying reps, I don't care. Like whatever you're buying, that's fine, but we're going to make sure your tax liability is okay. Like it's all good. So there is i said again there's value in having um professionals involved to help navigate this stuff but this isn't a a huge level, line of commitment from the athlete to the to us to to friends of spike and or the businesses uh to friends of spike it's a pretty um um you know legal structured but pretty open kind of open door policy of like this is the opportunity are you interested? If you're interested, then we can kind of put structure around what that campaign might look like.
1: Could I follow up on that? Just a one more question with that. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, What's sure. the so what's the backstop then? So like is the compliance department ensuring eligibility at all times? Or are you both together kind of filtering these deals? Because yep. like I think of Drew Timmy's deal right now. Like the NCAA hasn't spoken about whether you can be repped by a gambling company. So Northern Quest and his deal it's possible that that could come back and lead to an investigation. And I know they're doing investigations into BYU because they're doing deals through the system to the athletes. So like nobody knows what's allowed and what's not allowed. And they're just kind of letting it go right now. But I just wonder in the future when the NCAA starts to creep back into the picture, cause you know, they're going to, yeah. um, what is that? Where's the, Mark backstop? loves it. yeah, he loves investigations. This is his favorite thing and yeah, not I, helping student athletes as much. <laughs>
5: Right, and his investigations don't always have a lot of teeth, but that's for different sessions, different podcast. Um, You'll
1: have to come back on. But
5: uh, I, yeah, um, but I'd like to answer your question. Um, So, ruled laws have been passed that you can represent a resort, a hotel, even if it's tied to a casino and sport. Like he can't necessarily uh, Drew Timmy or an athlete can't represent the sports book, but they can represent Northern Quest Resort and Casino if that makes sense. So this one actually is um, totally above board because Gonzaga, like they do everything else is at the end of the day, we're a pretty conservative institution. And I say, we, I probably shouldn't say we at this juncture, but like, they're a pretty conservative institution. They're going to cross the T's and dot I's on everything that they do. So the third piece to your, I think to answer your question is the compliance piece. So these athletes, when they get that deal, they have to let compliance know, Hey, I'm going to go do the autograph session at the, you know, the, the, Uh, bank branch down the street. And then that has to go through a a process. I think the group is called influencer, but that's kind of like essentially, I think the NIL clearinghouse. So there are checks and balances in place on the university side. They just, university just can't have influence on deal-making, you know, you know, directing the athlete to places, directing the boosters and benefactors to the athletes. They, they just can't be in that sand track, you know, Sam, uh, sand pit. Um, and that's where groups like us, these third party groups have kind of, uh, been born and raised is to try to figure out how to connect those two pieces. So there are, uh, definitely, um, checks and balances in place. Um, and I know for a fact Gonzaga is absolutely, um, involved in the right places to make sure that this goes up because again, and like Shaniqua alluded to, Man, that's why there's, it's nice to have athletes involved because we're not, I mean, Shaniqua and I got to live here. Like most NIL deals, like you're making a deal for the Alabama football player for a million bucks, but you live in New York. Like Shaniqua and I, we live here in Spokane and like we go out, you know, like we're in the community, like we can't be messing this thing up. So I mean, hopefully that puts us kind of on the same side of the fence as the, the, the people that are getting involved.
2: Yeah. So one thing that I wanted to ask, this is more of a philosophical question about NIL um, that I've, I've noticed recently is that a lot of these NIL deals have been attached to some sort of foundation or charity. And like, obviously that's a good thing. Definitely not saying that it's a bad thing, but I guess my concern is that Um, There's this idea that these players don't deserve this money, that they do not deserve the fruit of their labor. And so they have to attach it to a charity to justify um, the money that they are getting from these deals. And they're not even profiting off of their own labor. They have to do extra work to be able to get any funding. So I don't think NIL goes far enough. This is a a beginning point. But I'm curious, do you think it's going to go farther? Do you think there's a fight that needs to go on when it comes to discussing um that they do deserve this money um and that there is this unfair stigma about players being paid and that you know they are the ones that are producing this wealth
5: shaniko you want to take you want to take
2: this
4: one <laughs> oh, gives me the philosophy one good grief um, i'm sorry
2: i'm sorry uh-huh.
4: Well, I think, you know, it. that's tough. Cause I, I'm biased. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I went through it and, um, yes, Gonzaga was mighty successful even when I was there, but it was also different, you know, Volker wasn't built. That wasn't a thing. Hemmingson just got built and we all thought that we were, you know, walking through the Taj Mahal. Like there's a theater <laughs> in the basement. Mm. Like we have that kind of money. Like people like us like that. Okay. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in it. And I do think that, um, you know, like you said, this is new. Matt and I kind of dubbed it the wild, wild west, like there's going to be some pitfalls. And um, there's going to be some angry people. But it's one of those things like the people that don't vote for it, or don't like it, most of them aren't former student athletes, you know, they don't know what that day to day looks like. They don't remember, like, how it was like after practice and having to sprint through the cog, the cafeteria of Gonzaga and, you know, load up on cereal and Apple Jacks and, you know, hoping that Dave, the omelet maker can hook it up. Like as he's, you know, trying to clean out and you're just trying to make sure you have a meal to study from 10 to midnight. And, but you have to leave for, you know, San Francisco early in the morning. Like they don't have those experiences. And so they don't understand how much like, you know, a, a, deal signing basketballs and earning $500 like that's potentially something that like can really change a kid's life and then if they keep making those types of deals like so I'm a big believer in it and I I know that there's there's going to be some stumbles and, and falls but I I am confident like Matt said that it won't be through Gonzaga because we we do things the right way and again having Matt and I kind of um as the faces of this program so to speak we have no we have no problem going, I don't know the answer to that. So we're not even going to tiptoe into the gray area. Let's press pause and call whomever at blueprint. Let's get, you know, GU compliance on the phone. Um, but yeah, I just like the people who are so like hyper against it, just don't really have that background to, to truly, you know, this is harsh as well, to really speak on it. Like if you haven't lived it, it's so hard to explain. And, even when I was in Australia, and you know, little girls would come up to me and be like, "I want to go play in America," and I'm like, "Okay, that's a great goal." And, and then their parents are like, "So when you were her age, and this is like a 15-year-old, right?" So in my mind, I'm like, "You're too late." Like it, if nobody from the states is checking you now, like I think it's too late. Unless you are a seven-foot unicorn, you know, that just sprouted out of nowhere. I think it's too late for you. But they would ask me like, "What was a typical day at Gonzaga? And you would tell them like, i I have 6 a.m. weights." And my situation was obviously different because I decided to throw a newborn in the mix, but even without that, like 6am weights, and then you have to hustle and, you know, grab a granola bar and then you get treatment. And then you go to class and you go through the day and it's literally 6am to like, you're studying till midnight. And then you got to do it again. You're operating on five hours of sleep, but you're supposed to operate at such a high physical and athletic level. And it's just demanded and expected of you. And not only that, in that time, you're also supposed to find time to get in the gym and lift and train on your own. And so I would explain that to them. And I could just tell they were like, she's lying, like she's exaggerating, you know, to to make it seem like you don't have what it takes. And I'm like, I wish somebody could have just been like a fly on the wall at Gonzaga going through what those athletes go through in any like collegiate program, division one, two, three, junior college. Like it is tough. You are demanded so like so much is expected and demanded of you. And for the most part, athletes just do it. We are a crazy group of young, you know, teenagers essentially that go, yep. Who needs sleep? Who needs proper nutrition? Who needs, you know, who needs this? Like we're just going to get it done. And so to withhold funding and opportunities for them to, you know, live like a scholarship check, like you can only stretch that so far. I know (laughs) I have crazy stories, crazy memories of that. And, yeah, you have high profile profile athletes. Like I think back to my era, like Nigel williams cost, like one of my really good friends, and the, you know, his story coming from UW Dub, and you have Josh Perkins, and you got Shemek. Like I know that's different because he's international, but I'm just saying, like you had people who had such a positive, like historic stamp on our community, and they walked away with their experiences, which is wonderful because I was one of those athletes as well. But I. I think that they deserved a little bit more. And now here's an NIL um, opportunity and they deserve it in my eyes, plain and simple.
5: And I think too, Austin, I think it's a good question because I think ultimately the market were, will bear, right? The market's mm-hmm. gonna provide resource opportunities. This isn't, I mean, if, if, if someone's gonna contribute to, uh, you know, Friends of Spike to then empower athletes in, in an opportunity, um, they're the value back. They're seeing the value trade. You know what I mean? Like they're doing it because they either have the resource, they understand the importance of it. They will see the return on investment by having an athlete represent their product or company. So, I mean, I think the market will bear on this one. And so I think for the people that maybe have are naysayers or negative, or it's ruining college sports, or, you know, it'll never last. I mean, then don't contribute to NIL opportunities. Like that's pretty, keep your money to yourself and, and move along. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, um, I think philosophically, the market will, like is gonna produce what it produces. And then it's gonna be able to empower the athletes one way or the other. And it may be more money right now because it's like was said, it's the Wild West. It's brand new. Maybe three years from now, it, it is just kind of more of a steady, consistent. Okay, these are the opportunities. These are the businesses that like to have athletes involved. Um, and it's a little bit more, uh, um, not quite as unknown. I think we, we start to define some things over the next few years that kind of helps. And I'm the NCA, that's a whole other thing. I don't know, you know, I don't know at what point they didn't step in on anyone when they were breaking the laws. How are they going <laughs> to step in on things that, you know, with laws haven't been defined. So I, that's a, that's a tough one.
1: Yeah. I think that one's a little unfair just because we don't know what's going to happen. But um, yeah, I I wanted to ask one last question, then give you the opportunity to like cover anything that we haven't. Um, But uh, last question was about, you know, how you have had a successful run turning HoopFest into the biggest event in the world of its kind and how you built brand partnerships with like Toyota and the other major brand partners. Um, and how those meshed with, you know, the idea of like Hooptown and Spokane and you draw these, those, that money in, um, how are you going to use that experience to create those similar partnerships? And if you're at Liberty to say, do you have any of those companies that are already interested in, uh, in this, uh, program? Yeah.
5: So I will, I'll start with like, I think where it, it helps me is like just the creativity part. I mean, we literally got Spokane named Hooptown USA. Like it's a city council decree, like it is like official on letterhead type of thing. Like who does that? I mean, we have a radio station, which is actually it was basically the Super Bowl halftime show, is the playlist. So like it's like we're doing things, like Hooptown actually did things. So um I kind of, you know, I think it's more the creativity around taking something, creating something out of it out of the air, meaning like Trying to recognize these different things, the momentum behind it, the energy behind it. So, okay, how do we create a spark and kind of bring it together? I think that's what Hoop Town uh, really w- uh, was, and I think that's what Friends of Spike has the opportunity to be. Um, because now, I mean, we had to kind of we were scrappy at Hoop Fest and we were scrappy at Hoop Town. Now we're dealing with Gonzaga basketball. It's a whole different level of notoriety and attention, and and which is weird because. Poop Vest is actually a lot, you know, is up, should be up there as far as, you know, brand recognition and uniqueness. Um, so I think that, that that, creativity piece is like, how do we take these ideas and bring them to life in ways that make sense for the business and the athlete? So I think that'll, you know, that experience will lend itself to help in the new, in this new opportunity. Um, and then the companies, yeah, I mean, I think that's a big one for, uh, my role and Shaniqua's role, even her, with her time at Hoop Fest, is that we have, those are existing relationships across uh, you know, local regional brands um, that are also then tied to national global brands. Um, and so I do think all those things lend itself to um, continue to build out what makes Friends of Spike you know, really unique because we're not just limited to the Gonzaga fan base. In this case, we're bringing this basketball culture together um, through the hoop fest lens. So, um, you know, but like groups, like, I mean, everyone that's already been involved, the Northern quests and the Toyotas and the, I mean, you walk into McCarthy Athletic center and you look around at all the, the, the <laughs> boards. I mean, those are, that's your hit list, right? I mean, those are your targets <laughs> right there. Um, so a lot of those are, are, are being contacted and seeing where they kind of fit. I think right now it's hard because it's like, do you, like to your point I think you asked earlier Kyle like how do these people who may already have a relationship with an athlete or with the athletic department now they have to go through Friends of Spike like making sure that this isn't taking money away from the university that this is add on money you know into the NIL fund that's a that's a really tricky one cuz we're not trying to cannibalize the success of the athletic department or their their resources this is additional money how if you give to Friends of Spike you're not going to get better seats in Vegas <laughs> like that's an important point. Like it's not, it's not impacting your season ticket package or anything like that. So, I mean, those are all just kind of educating the market, educating the the donors, educating the businesses around what it is, and just being fully, you know, full disclosure. Like we're not trying, it's not a card game. There's only so much of the dollars that can go around. So we got to make sure that we do it um, considerately and sensitively so that we're not taking away from uh, all the great work that the university's done too. So it's, it's nice to have local people involved to know those different pieces too. You know, I think that that's, that's really important again, versus someone coming from outside the market, just trying to represent the athlete. And now you have these competing factions uh, in a really small community like Spokane. Uh,
0: I noticed that there's an individual form on the website. Can you speak to how individuals can support student athletes or gain access or opportunities with them?
5: Yeah. So there's actually just a form on the website now. So the form is like, Hey, this is, this is tuck. I got, you know, a hundred bucks. I want Chet Holmgren to come to my kid's birthday party. Right. Or whatever, whatever the dream is. Um, but then you kind of create that form and then literally Shaniqua and I will contact you and say, okay, let's talk about it. Like, what do you really like? What's the goal? Like, you know, Chet, you may not be able to get Chet for a hundred, but I don't know. whatever the the kind of the dynamics of the deal are. So that's kind of how it is now. It's like this is the form. And it may be where it's like, hey, I just want to give a hundred bucks to the general. I know this is important for athletes and Gonzaga basketball. Like I'm just gonna give a hundred bucks. And then I think the next evolution evolution is like phase two where we start to create that more um uh exclusive content so that people can contribute, they get value back so that they're a part of something that Um, They get to uh, behind the scenes, look at athletes or their experience or, or whatever we can dream up. Um, And then that creates enough, enough value that people want to want to support it in a more of a kind of membership or subscription based type of idea, knowing that that money's going to the athletes. So there's, I think there's a lot of ways we, a lot of things we can come up with in the future, but right now it's just kind of filling out that form. Like I would love to have someone come to my bank branch do an autograph session. I really like, you know, Hunter Salas, like, and then we, we, we sneak when I will follow up and can actually work through the details of, of, and create the, the plan if it's real or not.
0: All right. I'm filling out a form to get Matthew Taco Lang <laughs> to come to my Taco Tuesday event. Sounds perfect.
5: See, <laughs> so now that was, I feel like we can make that one happen. I think that one, that one's in the realm of reality.
0: Thank you so much, Shaniqua Nils, Matt Santangelo, for joining us, giving us more of a heads up on Friends of Spike Collective. You can find Friends of Spike friendsofspike.com. friendsofspike.com. Uh, find them on Twitter at Friends of Spike. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it.
5: Yep. Thank Thanks you. for having us
0: on.